Hey, patrons, this is uh, Scoots, and this is uh, this uh, episode normally comes out to to $10 and up patrons. And this is just part of our uh, drive. Uh, and and here's the thing. You don't have to feel uncomfortable. But you already support the show. And if you support the show at a position you're comfortable with uh, and, and that fits your budget, that's awesome. And this is nothing about guilt or anything. But I, I'm pretty confident whether even if you don't support the show and you're listening to this, that you get somewhere between five and a thousand dollars of value every month out of sleep with me. Right. And of course, nobody's in that higher end position uh, unless you're listening Gates. Uh, but uh, if so, it'd be more than a thousand for you. But uh, anyway, uh, where was I? Uh, uh, but, you know, if you if you're in a place where you feel like you could support the show, five dollars, ten dollars or twenty dollars a month comfortably. Or by uncomfortably saying, well, I'll eat one less uh, lunch out or order pizza, I'll make pizza at home. Uh, it would be a huge help to the show. Uh, and, but only something they say, well, I could do that over the next 12 months or the next eight months or whatever. So just think about it. Uh, uh, it'll help keep the show going. And it's, a, you know, just a value for value thing. And I'm asking now, really, <laughs> it's a circle back because I was too afraid to ask when I started the show. Well, I guess I didn't know better, uh, you know, and I only asked for a dollar and uh, I realized that, well, uh, uh, to keep the show going and sustainable, uh, I, I don't know, I don't know. You, you know what I mean? But like, so it's not easy for me to ask this and, 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 and to do it. Uh, but it, it is a thing. If you're in a position to do so and you feel like you get five, ten, twenty dollars or more, you say, well, I get a thousand dollars of value scoots, but I can afford ten bucks. You know, I will give up two more cups of coffee. I was doing five. I'll do ten. Uh, that's huge help. So thank you so much for listening. And uh, let's get on with the show. Hi, ladies and gentlemen. It's time. Welcome back. Game of Thrones. I didn't know how much I missed you. I mean, I did, actually. But I can't wait till Sunday. Uh, but Game of Thrones is back. Season 6, Episode 1, The Red Woman. And I said, why don't we just get right into it, huh? Uh, it opens, the first image is the wall uh, in the north, you know, the, the big wall there. And I think it's a nice contrast. It's icy. It's a cast. There's a howling going on. Scooter put a question mark with a circle around it. Don't know what that means. Then it's Castle Black, and it's. I figured I was done, but I had to use my hand. I said, okay, the wall is north. Like Castle Black's on the south side of the wall, I believe. Sun rises in the east, sets in the west. I knew that from later in the episode. I think, rise in the east. And I said the sun's rising in the we. So then I said the sun's rising in the east, so sunrise. And then we see uh, Sir Davos is doing some sitting and some thinking. His forearms are on his knees, his hands are crossed. And he hears the, the wolf's cry, and he knows something. You know, he's thinking. He's, he's in a, I don't know if it's called a, what do you call that when you're thinking? Rever, rever, revere? Reverie? But he's doing one of those at dawn, fully dressed. But don't overanalyze that, because then he leaves his room. Now, this right away, we're hit with this uh, one of these wonderful, subtle moments that I love. And you can, you already know you're in safe hands here in a subtle way. And then it, you know, becomes a, a larger issues at hand. But so we have Sir Davos thinking, so we have acting, we have costuming, and we have a little quiet moment. 
Sir Davos leaves his room. He's in, and then we have a giant set of Castle Black. Snow has fallen. And then Sir Davos descends one set of stairs. Then he goes to descend the second set. And do yourself a favor, rewatch this. Because uh, I did like five or six times. As he goes down the second set of stairs, he puts his hand on the railing of the stairs. And he runs his hand down the railing of the stairs. And not only does he do that, but there's snow piled on the railing of the stairs that swishes away. And I don't know, it just, just did something for me. And it also made me think, I said, Jesus, was that intentional? Was it intentional by, like, whose intention was it? Whose idea was it? Was that real snow? Was it fake snow? Was it a happy accident? I, I talked about this in a, to somebody because I said, Jesus, this is... It's great stuff, and it's just something tiny, but, you, oh, man. Plus, you know, Sir Davos is like, uh, I was thinking of my triumvirate of favorite characters. You know, one who's kind of stepped out of the, if, a, if you can have a triumvirate and a Venn diagram. And one who did not appear in this episode, we had Sir Davos, who would be the top. Uh, I mean, not to, and then Bronn. And then formally, uh, uh, what's his name, Sir Jorah. Or I guess now you're not my favorite characters, the characters that I'm most like. You say, Scoots, are you more of a Jon Snow? And I say, please don't say Tom and, or, you know, please don't associate me with any Lannisters. And they say, well, Lannister children was all we were going to associate you with. They say, no, no, I'm a, I'm a wannabe Davos Bronn. But yeah, I'm mostly you know, Sir Jorah probably is who I'm closest to. Anyway, enough about me. Back to the north. We see Davos and Ned, and they show their respects for Jon Snow. And uh, uh, Ned, oh, there's, there's a lot of great focus pulling in this episode. I don't know if that's the correct term, but holy mackerel. So there's already a scene in this room where there's focus on Ned, and then the the actors don't move, but the focus goes from Ned to the Onion Knight. And the Onion Knight's like, who do you guys trust? Uh, Ned, who do you trust? He goes, just the people in this room. And then he goes, go get the wolf. We'll, we'll need the wolf. Sir Davos sends Ned for the wolf. And then, you know, last season it was Lord Commander, Lord Commander, Lord Commander. That's my Stannis. Lord Commander? Yes, Stannis, I don't have you down yet. It's a little early in the season. Plus, no offense, you've been replaced uh, by someone whose voice I can't do yet. Because then there's a knock-knock at the door, everybody panics, and then it's uh, Sadavos. I can't do it. Sadavos? Sadavos. I can't do her voice. The Red Woman. Sadavos. There's an E. Sadavos. Sadavos? I don't know. I can't do it, I guess. In my brain while walking this week, I was doing it. But the red woman comes in. Uh, she touches Jon Snow. She says, geez, I saw him fighting in the flames at Winterfell. What's happening here? Her, her faith is being tested. And Davos says, well, I can't speak for the flames, but, you know, Jon's not with us anymore. Uh, then we go in the meeting room. You got the crows and Sir Alistair. Yorick, I think, Othel Yarwick or something. He was really uh, looking, uh, he was cowering. Is that what I put? Cowers, yeah. 
Sir Alistair, nobody likes him. He's like, oh, yeah, we got to, you know, I was just doing my job, you know, loyalty and following oaths, you know, everybody following me. And you know who's there is the potato kid, you know, who's no longer a kid and no friend of ours anymore unless he's doing some sort of triple. But the potato kid looks very proud of himself. Forgot his name, luckily, because he's a punk. Should have listened to that old guy when he said, you know, we thought he was saying a metaphor. Metaphorically, get rid of the boy, Jon Snow. Also important to note, if you run into Sir Alistair, he says it and he sprays it. So seriously, he was spraying a lot of spit as he was talking. So and probably he wouldn't take kindly to say, hey, Sir Alistair, say it, don't spray it. You know, we're trapped up here. We we need all the uh, water we could get. And he says, uh, he, he, I think I miswrote this. He trusts choice. On, he thrusts a terrible choice on us. He, this is a typical strategy of jerks and me. You know, blame somebody else for your actions. Uh, then we're back with Davos Wolf and the boys. And that would be a good name for a band. And we get into what, uh, uh, Davos does best, which is truth-telling, but then he kind of does this new aspect. He says, you know, I didn't know this John Snow that long, but I like him. And he think he loves you guys. Uh, so we got to figure out a plan here. And Ned's like, oh, no, there's no plan. We're toast. And Sir Davos says, well, no, I don't know. I don't think you're seeing all the options here, Ned. He goes, uh, he goes, we don't have to take... He goes, let's see a gray area. You know, I'm the onion knight. Everybody sees an onion. They think savory. He goes, you know, there's sweet onions. And he goes, why don't you think who else loves Jon Snow as much as a sweet onion? And Ned says, holy moly, you're right. And he says, hit the road. Uh, I'll be here. Yeah, I think I summed it up. Truth and options, Ned out. Uh, then we have Ramsay and the Kennelmaster's daughter and some creepy maester who was like, have we seen him before? Strange giant maester, that's what I called him. And then we see some emotion with Ramsay. And I don't know about uh, J- our buddy John R.'s book, because uh, I'd have to, maybe this season we can give uh, Ramsay the, the, the P test. I think I tried to give it to uh, Mockingbird, or what's his name? Uh, he's not in this episode, but is Ramsey a, a, a P-Pass, you know? We'll find out. Maybe we'll give him the test this season. And I say, is he in love? Sad fe- question mark. Sad feelings, double question mark. And then you get get the hint that he's, you know, he's even unpleasant to his maester. And then we have a beautiful scene with Roos Bolton. I mean, just beautiful acting. Roos's voice, um, Michael, his voice is wonderful to listen to. As much as I rue Roos Bolton, that's nothing compared. You know, I don't rue Ramsey, so. But he says, your command of the cavalry is impressive. You know, thanks to you, no more Bastanis. Shows a little misogyny, you know, that'll come back to haunt him for sure, I hope. And then he says, uh, great victory. Do you feel like a victor? Uh, he doesn't say it like that, but he means it like that. And he goes, because this is really, he goes, I didn't do this, uh, you know, so you could, we could make a fool Stannis. And he goes, if you, if he goes, if you're thinking you're all smug and this is going to be easy, Ramsey, you're wrong. 
And by the way, the only thing we needed was Sansa, and that was the one thing you screwed up. And he goes, you better hope, uh, you know, we find her or, you know, Lady Walda. And that kind of has the ominous tone. He's like, maybe she is having a boy. And Ramsey's pretty confident. Oh, he said, do you feel like a victor? This mother said, I know it's trick question. I put in parentheses. Yeah, ruse. A reckoning will come. I liked that. You know, he's like, we're going to have to deal with these Lannisters. A reckoning will come. That's nice. And he says, you played your games. Then we see Sansa and Reek on the run. And there's great, great music in that scene. Uh, they cross the river. It's cold water. Reek, he says, uh, this way's better. And what does this say? Shane Vermouth? This is what it looks like. Shane Vermouth. Uh, but I think it's share warmth under fallen tree. Luckily, the under fallen tree there. Sansa's eyes are really foggy. She's tired. And they think they got away from uh, the run. But then we hear the hound and the guards. Uh, Reek tries to lie, but you can't fool the hounds. And you really get a sense of all is lost here. And I think that was amplified for, by me t- constantly telling people, I don't want to know any spoilers or theories. And finally, like late one night, like 11 p.m., while I was out of town and I was emotionally and physically drained, my brother, well, first it was just, I didn't even watch any teaser trailers, so he made me watch all the teaser trailers. And they said, please let me just tell you some of my theories from all this podcast and YouTube I watch. And I relented, and I could have sworn, I'm not going to say what he told me, but this scene, I thought I, then I, I thought I remembered. Luckily, I don't remember anything, so I couldn't even tell you any correct spoilers. So I don't think I've been spo- spilt or whatever, but I thought I was here. I said, all is lost, and that's what good sense of, this is why the show is so good. I did, I said, it's too early in the episode in the season for all to be lost. And I couldn't believe it, but I was like, they're going back. I said, they're caught, Sansa and Reek. And maybe they give me a little extra Reek empathy, maybe? I don't know. Uh, but then we get a freaking awesome scene. Brienne Tarth is in the hizzy house. More good music. Patrick rolls in. Some idiot says, a blood, bloody woman. And then we have some action with Patrick and Brienne. Brienne's hair is really slicked back. She looks sharp. But I don't know if that was from a helmet. And then Patrick's doing some work. Brienne just it was so badass. Everyone's out of breath, which I really thought was a nice touch because everyone was expending energy and it's supposed to be freezing cold in the snow. Reek gets Patrick's back. He says, Hey, Padre, I got you. And so we see maybe Reek coming to life a little bit. Uh, little Padraig can't beat that. After the battle, Brienne has a post-battle glaze on her of sweat. Great, great, great. I just love that stuff. And then we have another tiny little moment, but so good. Uh, She lays down her sword, then she kneels down. She says, Lady Saints, I'll offer my services again. I'll shield your back, keep your counsel, you know, protect you. Swear by the old gods and the new. And then we see Lady Sansa uh, taking, uh, is she going to take the uh, family? You know, 
She says, and I vow you will always have, have a place in my heart. And and then Padraig has the great, uh, he wanted to be whatever the person is that helps the knight's squire, whatever they call it. He says, meet and meet at my table. And then he says, meet and meet at my table. And I pledge to ask no service of you that might bring you dishonor. I swear by the old gods and the new arrives. And that's just gold. And at the last, there's also this look. Let's see, Patrick helps. More focus polling. That was great. Snow, uh, a double exclamation point, I think, from light snowfall. And then there's this great look on Sansa's face at the end. It's almost like a smile uh, where she's empowering. She feels empowered, or to me she did. Then we see a ship with... Uh, I'm not sure what color that is, like orange, a little bit of rust in there, like a sunsetty color, maybe not a burnt ember or an orange. And I have to get my Crayola chart, but that's rolling into King's Landing. Beautiful shots at King's Landing. I don't know if those are painted or CG, but beautiful. I mean, bravo for, I mean, thank you, HBO, for giving them the budget, and thank you, Game of Thrones, for delivering and stuff like that. I don't even need to suspend my disbelief. And then we see Circe. She's sitting by a window, her hair short. She has a big honking ring on. She's kind of stroking her hair. Or she runs something. Oh, then she's she runs holding her dress because somebody says, Hey, uh, there's a ship from Dorne coming in. She says, uh, Masella. And she runs all the way holding her dress, just like a little girl. I don't know if those are bustles, but she, like, it's just a, it was a, you know, it's a setup, uh, but a good setup. She runs down to the harbor, mountain standing wa- silent watch there. Then there's a slow pull into her, and it switches back between Jamie and the boat getting closer, and the camera slowly closing on Cersei. Cersei. And then I say, okay, not not good, you know. As Jamie gets in, and then she sees Jamie. Then the next scene, Jamie's at a window. I, I had to ask, where's Bron? How did I forget? Is he still imprisoned, or did he leave? Uh, I don't know. I thought he left, but I haven't seen him. Is it? And I said, is this the wrong time for me to barge in on you two and ask where Bron is? And yes, sir, she says, get out of here, Podman. And I say, okay. And this is just a, t- a touching, heart-wrenching scene. Seriously talks about, and I think this kind of plays out at the end of the episode in some way for me. And maybe a shout, like a callback to season five opener. But she says, what does mama look like now? And then Seriously talks about when the witch, what the witch told her years ago, she promised three children and gold their shrouds. So, Jamie, there's nothing we could do. It's a prophecy. It's fate. And Jamie says he doesn't believe that. And Cersei says, you do, you do, we do, I do. You told me when Father died we'd have to stay together because there was, you know, forces. And that was your prophecy. I didn't believe that, and I should have. Jamie drives some F-bombs. He says, F-prophecy, F-fate, F-everyone who isn't us. 
wonder if he would have said F hate, then he would have, he would have had a problem because he's kind of driven. He's not really driven by hate, but I mean, maybe there's some self-hatred in his actions and hatred of, so yeah, I guess he does that. And then if he said F eight, say, what are you doing with the computer? You know, or do you just like a number eight, dislike eight? But he says, we're the only ones that matter, the only ones in this world. And everything they've taken from us, we're going to take back and more. We're going to take everything there is, which that doesn't really make any sense. You know, that's not possible. Um, She was good. That was another thing Cersei said, I know. And then the, another haunting end of the scene is Reigns of Castamere and the kind of str- quiet strings. And we see Marjorie's doing a little Bible study. Seven hells brim with souls of saintly men. Agony and shame they don't feel. For now, they see if not for a single sin they concealed, they were saved. And Marjorie said, I'd like to see my brother. And then this crazy nun confess. So I just want to check out my confess. So like I'm the command queen. I could demand to see my brother. She says, Sinners don't make demands. They make confessions. And then the high sparrow rolls in. He says, I think her name's Septa now or something. He says, yeah, she's a little bit. He plays good cop, bad cop, or good septa, bad septa, good sparrow. That's what I wrote. And he gives her this uh, occult personality action. Uh, poor Marjorie. She just wants to know how her brother is. She, she's not even. He says, hey, what do you think? You're, she goes, I just want to see my brother. He goes, well, I don't care. I'm worried about your husband. And he goes, we got to fix this uh, relationship so I can take advantage of it. And the only way we can do that is a confession for sin. She's like, I got nothing to vent. She's like, why, are you perfect? No one's perfect. And he goes, oh, okay. She says that none of us are or something. And he goes, well, you're, you're on your way then, but many miles to go. Oh, I also like at the end of this scene, too, Marjorie hugs her knees into her she's sitting on the floor her arms around her knees her chin on her knees a great 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 end of the scene uh, then we have Elias Sand and then Oberon's brother whose name I don't know if I ever caught won't need to catch it now and one of her daughters there's a coup d'etat the daughter's almost growling and sneering during the scene and Elias Sand says uh, weak men will never rule Bummer for me. Oh, weak men will never rule Dorn again. So I don't get, I guess. So they take a coup. No defenestration. We see the harbor. We see a one eye rock. And then uh, whatever her, that kid is, Doran, Doran, Doran. He's working on the rock. And then uh, he lives on a boat. Oh, no, wait. That guy's Doran. And then uh, Tristane's the kid. And then that scene ends. Then we see our bo- the boys are back in town, or in another town. We see uh, Tyrion and Varys. Uh, what could be sweeter? Well, it does start off sweeter, though. There's a big pyramid shrouded in clouds. It's beautiful. Two stars I got. And that's not a five stars. That's a star, pyramid shrouded in clouds star. And this is when the comedy part of the episode really starts. Uh, there's some comedy gold for the next 10, 15 minutes sprinkled in. 
They walk through ruins. Varys has got his hands in his sleeves. Tyrion's got his hands behind his back. And he says, yeah, we got to fix this. We got to walk around the city to fix it. No one will recognize us. We look normal. And uh, Varys, Varys, right? I, I, I tried to figure out how to pronounce it. But he says, you walk like a rich person. And then Tyrion says, you study a lot of the way rich people walk. He goes, yeah, you like you own the stones. He goes, you know, I used to, you know, pickpocket you fools. And then Tyrion gives him uh, some business. And then they have a communication difficulty with some comedy, darker comedy, because of the bad Valerian. Then they see some graffiti about Misa. Uh, at some point, Varys does the old hands in the sleeves move where he wraps his uh, cape around him, but on not over his shoulders like it is. And I think that's interesting. It's like one of his moves. And uh, Tyrion, oh no, then he does the side, oh, side wrap, yeah. His side cape wrap, I called it. And then they run across a red priest talking about the mother of dragons and acting. And Tyrion doesn't like that. And then he's like, well, what should we do? And Varys is like, well, this is a, a, there's people planning this. we got to get to the bottom of it. And Tyrion says, how are we going to do this? He says, my little birds have already taken wing. Soon they'll return singing songs of men in gold masks. And then we have one of two little reminders of saying... Hey, spoil, spoil fever. Uh, what you're, ex- you know, I don't know if that was to spoilers or just to us of the misdirection. And hey, you don't know where things are going because they go to the harbor, all the boats are burned. And Tyrion says clearly, we won't be sailing to Westeros anytime soon. And I won't read it. I mean, we wouldn't read anything into that, but it was to say, hey, it's adventure time, you know. Like, who knows what's going to happen, you know? Like, you just, just, you know, suspend your disbelief, you know? Just get on board the Game of Thrones ride and have some fun. Call my couch, but I'm game. Okay, then we have uh, Jor and Dario on the case, I put it, like, uh, looking for the Khaleesi. Uh, talking melted ram's horns, and then Dario's like, I don't think she likes being queen. Too smart to like it. Maybe she's flown, gotten away from this Adario. Maybe she's trying to get away from men like us. Jorah says, I've been all over the world. There's no escaping men like us. And then Dario does some probing. He says, hey, you no escaping her, huh? You keep coming back. He goes, why? And Jorah's like, come on, dude. You don't got to humor me. We all know why. And he goes, isn't it frustrating, you know, loving someone that doesn't love you back? And Jorah says, yeah, of course it is. And this is a nice, if it weren't for Jorah's devious secret, I'd be fine with all this. And he says, you're romantic. I like that. Uh, And there's more comedy gold. Like I said, it's comedy. He says, sometimes I'll get you and think, yeah, that's what I'll be like when I get old. And Jorah says, well, if you get old... And he goes, well, I hope so. I want to see what it's like when the Khaleesi's queen of the world. And George says, hey, same here. But then we see, you know, he's got that stone disease he's covering up, which I can't really forgive him for, I guess. And I said, uh, oh, he's got strings and ropes on his hands. I couldn't figure that out. 
He says, oh, they find where the Khaleesi went missing. They say, was an army here? He goes, not an army, a horde. And he finds the Khaleesi's ring, double question mark. What ring, double question mark? They have her. Also, Jorah's got one bloody fingernail, like underneath, like a bruised fingernail. A beautiful shot of the Badlands, or, or, or a Badland, a Badlands follows. Then the Horde, then the Khaleesi walking. Uh, Dothraki are talking about her in their language, about her fair hair and her skin, degrading her. Khaleesi's not really having it. Then we see beautiful grass in the wind shot, rustling sound. Uh, they take her to meet the call. The call. He says, his wife, one of his wife says, blue-eyed women are witches. It is known, the other one says. Yeah, it's good to have it is known back in our plate. It is known, you know, to have, good to have that back. Call Morrow, I think was his name. And let's see, then it is known, more greedy things. Oh, this was funny. Okay, let's see if I can find this. Yeah, this is good comedy. He says, blue-eyed women are witches. And then the uh, call says, well, of course my wife don't like you. You know, you're pretty. And then they say, well, geez, what is better, you know, Sweet, making sweet, sweet love. And then another one of the Dothraki says, well, taking out a call is pretty sweet. It's like these are the few of my uh, call, uh, call's favorite things. Conquering cities. Uh, that's another one. And taking out a uh, call. Uh, taking your idols back to Vos Dothraki. Breaking a wild horse, I'm stopping to fake singing. Uh, seeing a beautiful woman. Okay, he goes, yeah, it's maybe it's one of the five best things in life. And then he tries to mess with the Khaleesi. She drives, she stands up to him, she drives. She's like, Shoot, you know, you're nothing to me. And then everyone's stunned at first. And then the cow laughs. Uh, and then he breaks the tension, and then he kind of tries to degrade Khaleesi. She stands up to him again. She says, just so you know, you know, I'm wife of a call, fool. And, you know, I want you to take me. And he goes, oh, they say, well, you got to go to Dash Kaleen then. If, uh, but, okay, this was the thing. She gets, at first, she stands up to, the second time she stands up, she says, you know, I was married to Kyle Drogo. She thinks she's getting what she wants. She gets what she wants, so her face says that. And then I say, or, so she thinks, double exclamation point, uh, Dash Colleen. And then I can't f- read what I wrote about faces, but something faces. Uh, so she doesn't, she's not happy about that. She says, oh, I thought I was going to get what I wanted, and I didn't. And, and then just like with... Says, where are we going to go next? I love this. You know, because we can trust the, the people whose hands are in this, in this story and and relax and let it enjoy it. Uh, then we have Arya. She's listening. Some very good sound design in this scene. No sight. Oh, she has no sight. I spelled that wrong. S-I-T-E. She's begging. But I put begging. Not in a comic way. 
I don't know if it was to save time or just because I'm a word slob. She had a round coin in her uh, bowl, and someone gives her a square coin. Uh, then old, well, formerly in season five, the girl whose arms never move shows up, her nemesis. And she says a bunch of stuff. She says, yo, blind girl, any of them talking to you? Uh, something like that. And then she says, see you tomorrow. But I noticed when she was walking away, her arms moved a little bit more. So that's good for her. The season, this season, out fours. I don't know, but I know her arms were moving. Last season, her arms didn't move. I mean, like she would walk with her arms at her side, unmoving. Uh, then we're back at Castle Black. More comedy still coming. Uh, snow flurries. Sir Alistair knocks on the door. Sir, Ma, uh, Sir Davos, he says, hey, Sir Davos, we'll let you go if you get out of here. You know, and Sir Elster says, sure, if you give me some mutton. And Sir Elster says, what? And he says, well, I'm not a hunter, so I'll need some mutton. It was a test, but it was also a funny test. And he says, sure, we'll give you some mutton. Are you going to take the red woman or not? And Davos says, uh, yeah, I don't know. And he goes, well, just let us know by Neufeld. And then this was so good. I just love it. He goes, thank you, Sir Elster. We'll discuss amongst ourselves and come back to you with an answer. And it just about, it's just so good, man. And then he leaves, and then Sir Davos says, Hey, boys, I've been dealing with you jerks like this my whole life, and my learned opinion, you know, we'll open that door and we'll be in trouble. And they said, Well, hopefully Ed will hurry back. And they said, Did you know Scooter's been calling him Ned this whole time? His name's Ed. And Davos said, uh, Scooter. And I said, Yeah, sorry, sorry, Ed. And they said, what are our other options? And Davos said, well, the red woman, you know. And they said, well, what's she going to do? What's one redhead going to do? And Davos says, you haven't seen. She goes, he could, she could do anything. And then he says, they're always the red woman, blah, blah, blah. And then we see the red woman. She's sitting by a fire on a bed. Her hands are crossed. She's rubbing her hands like uh, self-soothing. She has a sad, thoughtful, thoughtful look on her face. She's not studying the fire. She's almost like, uh, I don't know, she's looking at the fire with this while having a sad, thoughtful look by the fire, I guess. And then she looks across the room at this old uh, battered mirror, and she slowly walks to it. This scene was so baffling. I don't know about anybody else the first time they saw it, but to me, this was absolutely baffling in a wonderful way. Because uh, it just gets more baffling. She stands in front of the mirror. She takes off her clothes. And I honestly said, what the hell is going on here? They said, is this gratuitous nudity? Because I don't need gratuitous nudity right now. You know, what I need is one more plot point to get me till next week. And then I heard Weiss and Benioff, they said, you need one more plot point to get, how about the plot point, how about we blow your mind instead of giving you a plot point, son? And I said, please do so. And they said, uh, George R.R.? And I said, for the love of jets, blow my mind. And they did, because then she takes off her clothes. I can't think, I don't know what that word is, it looks like sad. 
She takes off her necklace. It glows red. There's also these like a clear bottle and a green bottle on the table with her mirror. A couple other bottles. They didn't play a role, but it caught my attention. And then we see uh, that she's an old woman now. And also, I had to put parentheses, music, holy crap, so subtle, close parentheses. Because the music was so freaking subtle, it made me say, holy crap. It was so damn good. And then the old woman, who was once a red woman, her lips purse. And she slowly turns away and she gets into bed. She pulls the covers over, just like you would if you were listening to this podcast. And that was the end of freaking episode one, season six. Mind blown at the end of that episode. Baffled. And then I watched the extras, so it at least gave me like a a tiny bit of information. But man, it was good. It was good to be back. I could watch all ten episodes in, in a row. But you know, I'll wait and see what happens, all right? Thanks so much. All right, hey everybody, it's uh, your, your old buddy Scoots here, season six, episode one. So what are we going to talk about? Or what are we going to investigate? We're going to talk about chemistry and mood rings, uh, history of mirrors a little bit. Uh, Game of Thrones currency, we'll touch on that real quick. My favorite, these are a few of my favorite things. We'll touch on that quick. Eye of Providence. And if we have time, we'll do good cop. We'll talk about good cop, bad cop. So, uh... Mood rings. The reason I thought of that is uh, when I, uh, well, a couple of things. Uh, one, Circe, Cersei, Cersei. That's how uh, Benny often will say it, Cersei. Uh, so I assume that's the correct pronunciation. And I think actually uh, George R. R. Martin says it that way too. She had this big ring on while she was waiting in her room. And I said, is that a mood ring? And then it paid off at the end of the episode when the red woman removed her necklace. It glowed. And that reminded me of a mood ring. So I said, geez, you remember those mood rings? And, you know, how do they work? And where, what better place to look than HowStuffWorks.com? So there's an article, How Do Mood Rings Work? And it don't, I don't see an author here. But I'll try to paraphrase it, you know, because I don't want to take all their content and I'll link to the article. Uh, but mood rings were a fad in the late 70s and every once in a while they you know, become fad again. And they say, you know, it'll, if you wear it, it'll reflect the state of your emotions. Uh, and according to them, it's dark blue if you're happy and black if you're stressed. And, you know, they're actually an indicator of your body's involuntary reaction to your emotional state. And according to them, it, uh, it is either a hollow glass shell filled with thermotropic liquid crystals or a clear glass stone sitting on top of a thin sheet of liquid crystals. And here's, this is interesting, I'm already learning something. These liquid crystals are very sensitive. They change position, twist, or the temperature changes. Uh, that changes the molecular molecular structure, which affects the wavelengths of light that are absorbed and reflected by the liquids, which changes the color, apparent color of the stone. Uh, for example, is if, if the temperature increases, the molecules will twist in one direction 
which causes them to absorb more, absorb, remember that, red and green light and reflect blue light, which makes it seem dark blue. And if the temperature goes down, they go the other direction, which brings out another uh, portion of the spectrum. And the inside of your ring, uh, the inside of the ring conducts heat from your finger to the crystals. Uh, The color green, which signifies average on the mood ring, uh, is calibrated to the surface. Wow, these guys are smart, these mood ring people. I mean, it's pretty, I guess it's like, geez, I couldn't even create a mood ring. That's how poor my science is. But uh, they calibrate green to the average uh, surface temperature of a person, 82 degrees Fahrenheit, or for those people that use a reasonable way to measure things, uh, 28 degrees Celsius. Uh, If your surface temperature varies far enough from the norm, uh, the liquid crystals in the stone alter enough to cause a change in the color. And if you take it off, it'll change to black unless the you know room's real warm. As we said, dark blue is happy, blue is relaxed, uh, blue-green somewhat relaxed, green normal, amber a little, you know, a little bit out of shape, gray very, and black stressed. And how stuff works goes on to say, if you think about the moods and the colors, you'll see a correlation between your body's surface temperature and the color of the liquid, of course. When you're in a good mood or passionate mood, uh, your skin's flushed and uh, uh, the physical reaction to an emotion causes the capillaries to move closer to the surface of the skin and release heat, which changes your body temperature. And when you're stressed, you know, the opposite happens. Let's just check Wikipedia real quick for any notes over there. Uh, Oh, interesting. According to them, the mood ring was uh, created in 1975 by uh, uh, two people. I don't want to say their names because, you know, it's not. It originally came out for $45 for silver, $250 for gold. And it's basically a specialized liquid crystal thermometer with a faux gemstone. Oh, this one says, in 1976, Peanuts, Peppermint Patty gets so angry at Charlie Brown, her mood ring explodes. That's funny. So that's a little bit about mood rings. Uh, Next up is mirrors, uh, because we had the mirror at the end of the episode. I said, let's learn a little bit about mirrors. And believe it or not, there's a website called mirrorhistory.com, which could be more uh, useful. It's got a little one-page information. Mirror History of mirrors and mirror facts. Mirrors, a flat curved surface, you know, usually glass has a reflective coating applied to it, or in a red woman's case, just a piece of metal. Mirrors are also used in technology and lasers. We don't need that, though. I mean, I wish I had some lasers, but... Uh, people probably first started to look at the reflections, you know, in water, like our Narcissus. Uh, they don't say that, but I said, you know, let me set, try to sound smart here. Uh, the earliest man-made mirrors were from polished stone, uh, like black volcanic glass obsidian. Some examples of mirrors are found in Turkey dating, dating back at least 6,000 years. That's wow. Uh, here we go. Uh, Holy Westerosi. Uh, ancient Egyptians used polished copper to produce their mirrors. 
And sometimes the round face would be, you know, decorated. Mesopotamians used polished metal mirrors, and mirrors made from polished stones were in Central and South America from 2000 B.C. And this mirror, this is a good inclusive site. And China mirrors were made from metal alloys like tin and copper, uh, called speculum metal. They could be highly polished. And made of polished bronze, metal alloys, valuable items in the ancient times, only affordable to the very wealthy. I mean, those are the people that like to look at themselves the most anyway, you know, right? Sorry, I was just kidding. It is believed that the mirrors are made of metal-backed glass. And this type of mirror was first produced in Lebanon uh, in the early first century. And the Romans made crude mirrors from blown glass with lead backings. Uh, so that's a little bit. Let's see. They have facts about mirrors. Mirrors, the concept of the soul is also, oh, here we go, often associated with mirrors, which results in a wealth of superstition surrounding mirrors. You know, breaking mirrors, bad luck, because uh, it's a soul that shatters the mirror, shatters with the broken mirror, regenerates every seven years. For instance, breaking a mirror causes seven years of bad luck because the soul which shatters the broken mirror, I don't, I don't get that, re- regenerates every seven years. Uh, you know, mirrors can be covered up when people pass. So it's a mirror, you know, we don't want to know about that really. Here's mirrors' inst- interesting information. During Renaissance, mirrors were made of a method of coating glass with tin and mercury. In the, 16th, in the 16th century, Venice became the center of manufacture for mirrors. And a factory for uh, making mirrors was called St. Gobain in France, but they're still expensive. In 1835, Justus von Liebig, a German chemist, developed a silver and glass mirror where a thin layer of metallic silver is put onto glass by a chemical reduction of silver nitrate. And this uh, was your mass production of mirrors where everybody could look at themselves uh, for the first time. You know, ordinary people could buy mirrors. Present-day mirrors are more frequently produced by depositing aluminum by vacuum directly on glass. And then they talk about the superstition. So that's a little bit about mirrors from mirrorhistory.com. Thanks, mirrorhistory.com. The next thing that came up was currency because when uh, Aria was a... uh, begging for alms or whatever you would call it, I noticed uh, two different coins. I said, let's learn a little bit about this currency. Uh, so we went to the place we always go to, Game of Thrones Wiki, for Game of Thrones answers about the show. And we can always dig into the books. But uh, there's several several different types of currency are used in the world's economies. Uh, now, the seven kingdoms of Westeros have a uniform system based on the gold dragon and the cities across the narrow sea use their own local currencies. So the Seven Kingdoms have the uh, gold dragon and then two smaller common currencies, the silver stag and the copper penny. Uh, when he was hand to Robert Baratheon, Eddard Stark was learned that uh, there were six million gold dragons in debt, to Lann- half that's the Lannisters. Uh, Robert, okay, Robert Benarathian, oh, oh, uh, these are just kind of talking about money. Beyond the wall, free folk are hard-scrabbled uh, 
survival economy, uh, free folk uh, that the night watch encounters are more interested in directly useful things, so they barter. Essos, there are many different uh, systems of currency in the East, uh, particularly in the nine free cities. Unlike Westeros, uh, the economy of Essos is because ba- oh, oh, they have slavery. Those, oh, boy. Uh, so they're the heart of uh, feudal serfdom as a social norm. As, you know, Obviously, in the Seven Kingdoms, uh, they outlaw slavery. Uh, so some of the free cities are economically engaged in that, but different Volantis... Atlantis is relying on that, but Bravos has banned slavery. Karst is a major trading hub. And uh, let's say, I'm, I'm looking for the co- coins here. Other than that, each of the nine cities has their own unique minted currencies. Gold honors are used in marine, the round gold coins. Different cities use variants of the honor coins, such as Volantis and Karst. Uh, the Miranese honor and the Molentine honor have different designs on them. Uh, currency used in marine is referred to uh, for the first time as gold honors in the gifts when Jorah, oh, because Jorah gets sold for uh, 12, oh no, 20 gold honors. Uh, the Bolantine coin that Miro holds in Second Sons appears to be silver and not gold. It isn't clean, clear. If this means that Bolantine honors are not made of gold or if it's a sub-denomination of the Bolantine honor. Uh, Talissa also mentions people using coppers, even though the copper penny is a coin used in seven kingdoms. But it isn't implausible that there's a, you know, a cheaper copper penny t- style coin. And here's my question, because I saw this square coin. The coins of Bravos are square-shaped and made of simple iron. Uh, they're minted with the image of the Titan of Bravos on them. Uh, different coins of the Bravos are seen in TV. Uh, season 4, round gold coins with an hourglass uh, symbol of the Iron Bank of Bravos. Those are different than the normal square currency with the Titan of Bravos on it. These might be voucher coins from the Iron Bank that they gave to Davos. Uh, those coins reappeared in Season 5, uh, with that guy who's selling life insurance. Alternatively, they might be some different denomination. In season five, Arya sells uh, oysters. Uh, she sells half a do- She says that half a dozen oysters cost three coppers, and they give her one silver. And Bravo said, hasn't been said to use copper or silver currency in the novels. In fact, their coins are made from iron. And apparently not commodity money, based on the value of the metal, uh, but fiat money, a medium of exchange representing a value exchangeable for gold reserves held by the Iron Bank itself. As with the example from Volanis, however, it's not implausible that Bravosi currency has smaller denominations. The special coin, the Jacquin Hagar, Hagar, or however you say it, uh, one of the faceless men of Bravos gives to Arya is explicitly not normal currency. It is round and does not resemble a normal Bravosi coin. Instead, the currency is a token. 
that defaceless men give to their allies or those they feel indebted to. Let's see, what else? Dothraki, they don't believe in money. Banking, we don't, insurance, we don't really need to get into that. So that's a little bit about currency. That's, you know, that's as boring as you could. You just said it's a bravosi coin. It's square, Scoots. Well, I'll tell you what isn't boring. How about rainbows and uh, sunshine and mystery kittens uh, and tight paper packages tied up with string? Those are a few of some someone's favorite things. So the stone shop, you know, with some hurry, in case you're feeling sad. And you'll simply remember the reason I'm bringing this up is because of the comedy bit between the the call and his his, 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 his two closest allies or whatever. When they were just talking about a few of their favorite things that they do that don't make them feel so bad. Uh, But my favorite things is a popular show tune from the 1959 Rodgers and Hammerstein musical Sound of Music, according to Wikipedia. Uh, first song is a duet between Maria and Mother Abbas. Uh, and the musical songs are a reference to things Maria loves. Raindrops on roses and whiskers on kitten scoots. Bright copper kettles and warm woolen mittens. And those are the things she thinks about when times are tough. Uh, original Broadway musical that takes place in Mother Abbas's office, uh, where she sends Maria to go work with Von Trapps. Uh, however, Ernest Lehman, who rewrote uh, wrote the screenplay for the film, moved the song so she could sing it with her child, the children during the thunderstorm scene in the bedroom. Uh, good, good move, Ernest. Uh, the first section of melody has the distinctive property of using only the notes one, two, and three, do, re, so of the scale. Uh, Rogers then harmonized the same section of the melody in different stanzas, stanzas using uh, minor triads one time and major triads uh, next. And the happy, optimistic lyrics, cream-colored ponies and crisp apple strudel. Okay, those ones I don't remember, but that sounds pretty good. Cream-colored ponies are a counterpoint to cover up an ood subtext, uh, undercurrent of fear. Is noted above the song was a sung by one woman, young woman, uh, facing new responsibilities outside the convent. But in the film, is repositioned, talking to children during the thunderstorm. Well, probably a subtext beyond the thunderstorm. Uh, the song ends with a borrowed line of lyrics and notes from Rogers' earlier composition, "Glad to be unhappy." Uh, using the same two notes for the phrasing, then I don't feel so sad, then I don't feel so bad. In 2004, the music movie version of My Fairy Things was on a 64 on AFI 100 Years 100 Songs. Now, I always thought it was Jan Coltrane, who, who is who I associated with, his 14-minute version. And then I thought, but, yeah, but then... Uh, it's also been done by Eddie Fisher, Jack Jones, Diana Ross and the Supremes, Andy Williams, Kenny Burrell. That's a really good, actually, album. Kenny Burrell's Have Yourself a Soulful Christmas. I think I recommended that this Christmas. That's one of my favorite Christmas albums. Uh, Barbara Streisand, Herb Albert and the Tijuana Brass, 
Tony Bennett, Johnny Mathis, Kenny Rogers, the Carpenters. Some people I haven't heard of. Luther Vandross. Uh, a lot of people do it as a Christmas album. Uh, Vanessa Williams, Placido Domingo, and Tony Bennett. Wow. Barry Manilow, Dion Warwick. Uh, Brian Setzer, Orska Strick, Kenny G. Rod Stewart. Yolanda Adams, Connie Talbot, Tony Bennett again. Family Force 5. I'm not familiar with them, but I like that. Family Force 5. Uh, Carol King, Chicago, Glee. Kelly Clarkson, Mary J. is in Mary J. Blige. So that's a few of my favorite things. That the calls do, you know, I mean, I guess that's why I wondered about it. And the next thing that caught my attention, we might be out of order, you know, because that's kind of the sign that I should wear around my forehead, uh, out of order. But another thing on a forehead sometimes is an eye, a third eye. And we see that kid whose name I forget, the... Uh, the kid whose last name I forget, you know, but he's down there in that city, not Bravo, so Sunspear, whatever that, you know, the kid that's not as cool as the guy who was so cool, the stupid mountain had to, you know, send him away to live in, to live in a farm. Uh, that kid, he was painting a rock, and he was painting one eye on a rock, and I said, isn't there an eye on our money? What the heck is that eye? Turns out, according to always reliable Wikipedia, it's the Eye of Providence. The Eye of Providence or the all-seeing Eye of God, oh boy, shame, shame creeping up here, is a symbol showing an eye surrounded by rays. His didn't have rays of light, so it could have been a different one, but maybe Wikipedia will help us with that. Uh, usually enclosed by a triangle. His was not enclosed by a triangle, but our money one is. Represents the eye God watching over mankind or divine providence. And it's on the $1 bill. Uh, the association of the eye did not emerge until the Christian era. Huh, interesting, because it was back in wherever that was. Uh, I'll think of the name of that southern city or something, hopefully. Um, oh, it could have been. Sometimes it's, it's surrounded by clouds or sunbursts. In 1782, it was adopted as part of the symbolism on the reverse side of the Great Seal of the United States. And that was the suggestion of Pierre-Eugène du Cimetière, uh, who placed the eyes over shields symbolizing each of the 13 states of the Union. And then uh, I was, when it was finally proved, it was positioned above an unfinished pyramid of 13 steps, again symbolizing the 13 states. But, you know, kind of showing future growth. Uh, perhaps to its great seal, the eyes on other American seals and uh, logos, such as the Seal of Colorado and DARPA's Information Awareness Office. Today, it's also associated with Freemasonry. It's been part of their icon, icon, iconography since 1797. Here it represents the all-seeing eye of the God as a reminder of Mason's thoughts and deeds are always observed by the great architect of the universe. Uh, typically, the Masonic eye of providence has a semicircle glory below the eye. 
Uh, sometimes the eyes enclosed by a triangle. Uh, popular among conspiracy theorists is the claim that the eye of Providence is on the pyramid of the seal of the United States because uh, the Freemasons run things. Uh, however, uh, Masonic use dates 14 years after the Great Seal of the United States. Furthermore, uh, among the members of the design committees, only Benjamin Franklin was a Mason and his ideas were not adopted. Indeed, many Masonic organizations uh, say that they didn't have anything to do with the seal. I of Providence also appears in uh, the coat arms in Belarus and Lithuania, Poland, uh, college fraternities, Colorado, Mississippi, Chile, Kenosha, Wisconsin, uh, U.S. dollar bill, the Estonian Kruni, uh, the Ukrainian Hirvina, and some other stuff. So that's the Eye of Providence. That's, that's kind of, you know, that's a little bit interesting. And then I was thinking with uh, the good, uh, bad septa, good sparrow. I was like, oh, what about the good cop, bad cop thing? Which we may have covered before, but there's this article in Slate uh, by Aisha Harris. So, wow, and Sharon Shetty. And it's talking about the buddy cop comedy, The Heat, Melissa Bullock. It's talking about the buddy comedy, The Heat, with Sandra Bullock and Melissa McCarthy. And this is dated July 2nd, 2013. You know, they talk about the movie. But they talk about how it's kind of a trope. Like, cops and robbers flick uh, is incomplete without a good cop, bad cop scene. Whether it's played for seriously or laughs, that's a quote from the article. You know, that's where one cop's nice and one cop's not. Do they employ this? Do real police officers employ this tactic? Tactic? Not as often as you'd think, according to Joseph Polini, a retired to me, he says, sometimes. Uh, a typical setup, he said, would have the bad cop first, just like the septa, followed by the more personal good cop. Didn't we just see it in that freaking, uh, oh no, was that bad cop, bad cop in uh, the, the Netflix documentary series? Uh, but yeah, the second person will say, oh, everything's going to be fine. Uh, Mikey Haberfield of uh, Professor of Police Science at John Jay College Criminal John Jay College of Criminal Justice says it's used all the time by detectives uh, when someone's dealing with two individuals, one friendly and one hostage. When an uh, individual is dealing with two people, one friendly and one hostile, you know, of course they're going to have more comfort with the friendly one, and you know, it depends on the hostility of the other one. Uh, but one veteran NYPD officer told Slate that it's antiquated and it was more common back in the day. And, that, you know, they don't they don't use anger and, you know, they, they'll try niceness, you know. That's the niceness first. That's their policy now. And they say, you know, it can lead to mess-ups and mistakes if two people... So they say it's better off just to have one person build rapport with the subject. And they say it's just a concoction by TV. Uh, the earliest pop culture examples of this predate television in uh, 1912 D.W. Griffith's short The Burglar's Dilemma. Uh, two detectives play hot and cold uh, for comic effect. 
And the oldest name that Slate could find for the tactic comes not from cop shows or police manuals, but a comic strip. Uh, they dug up of good cop, bad cop. There's a reference to the Mutt and Jeff routine, an allusion uh, to bumbling characters from that comic strip in 1907. Uh, within a few decades uh, of the strip, the comic strip's debut, uh, that's what they were calling it, Mutt and Jeff. A 1940 book on... Uh, Police interrogation uh, called it the Muffin Mutton Jeff uh, technique. Uh, again, for Slate, uh, early printed usage of good cop, bad cops, 1956, but it, it didn't become terribly common 30 years until the last 30 years with more procedurals on TV and movies and the cop blockbusters of the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Uh, especially the TV shows. Uh, once the t- tactic became, according to uh, Slate, uh, shopworn in Hollywood, portrayals began to shift. Nowadays, it's uh, rarely depicted as an effective strategy. So they'll change it around for a comedy or, or to build uh, narrative tension, uh, whether it's uh, a ton of other movies. Uh, and they say uh, something interesting happens in the heat, so it's worth checking out. So thank you, Slate. Uh, thank you, Melissa McCarthy and Sandra Bullock. And that's it. Uh, thank you, who uh, Game of Thrones, for uh, giving me some stuff to learn tonight. All right. Oh, Podman, it is so good to see you again. What do you mean? We just saw each other, Tom, and when I was setting up the... Uh, oh. These eel phones, they sound so different, Podman. Tom, what do you mean? We've been... Oh, Podman. It has been too... Sir Pounce, what do you think about the Podman? Handsome man. He is like rain. You're right, Sir Pounce. Tom, are you... Oh, Podman, I'm being dramatic for the... When when, when we begin recording on the eel phones. Now, Podman, what adventure... Are we going to have, am I going to return to space, Tom, and then bounce in space? Or I was thinking of something like that movie with a, a romance, uh, gone with the Podman. I mean, it would be me and Sir Pounce and venturing in the, your south, as they call it. Uh, no, listen, Tom, and, um, uh, are we going to still do Cape Pounce Radio? We could probably still do K-Bounce Radio, but I was thinking we're going to have some adventures. Oh, good, because they, I mean, I need these adventures, but, man, you don't know what it's like. Well, yeah, I actually don't know what it's like because I, I haven't, I don't know what it's going to be like coming up here for you. But I, I, I got a feeling it's going to be, oh, Podman, it is a blue, there's a blue-faced man in my life. Okay, well, um... Here's what I was thinking. I have a new adventure. Uh, could I, could I, I'm going to pitch you on it because I've been, you know, I, I said, you know, I miss you, Tom, and it's been so long. So, I mean, well, Podman, you come and remember I said, I've, if you did not come tell me bedtime stories, I would, I needed you. You came to my room every night for the whole year. We we are as close to friends as a, a what are you, a lower commoner? And uh, and I could be, no no no. We're not. Of course we're friends, Simon. But they're not supposed to know. The audience and George R. R. Martin can't know that I've come to your room every night. 
to just tell you bedtime stories is totally, oh, bad man. Yes, I know. And advice about life and, and, and you asking, does mother ever ask about, remember you asked me, does she ever say bad man at all? Does she, would she? No, I didn't ask about that. I did not ask about that, Tom. Please, please don't. Uh, I have not seen you in a year. Remember we talked about this. Oh, yes, that's right. You said it's a secret. We need to keep secrets, but not strange secrets. The secrets that friends keep uh, that are not secrets. No shame secrets. We don't have any secrets of shame. I mean, you do. The ones you told me about. Okay, I want to get on to our adventures and also to set things up. So as people may or may not know, you are. this is a show with... Uh, can you introduce it? Oh, yes, I am. Uh, I am the proud best friend. My name is Sir Tommen, King Tommen. But my most important uh, uh, quest, my most important adventure is an adventure of friendship with one Sir Pounce. Sir Pounce, say hello. Hey, Sir Man. That is the, the brave Sir Pounce, the bravest cat bravery has ever known. And the best friend... A friendship, a best friend a boy could ever have. And it just my just my good friend, Sir Pounce. And we're going to go on adventures with the Podman, who's pitching me now. Go ahead and pitch me some more, Podman. Well, I've been struggling just with, like, a responsibility, Tommy, because I like you, you know, and I worry about you. And I thought, you know, I said, geez, I think... So I have this, now I don't know if you're, you're, now this is a dangerous adventure to be fictionalizing and to dramatize with my dramaturgy. Sir Tommen, Space Cowboy, uh, go, the new guardian of the galaxy. Remember that you showed me the guardians of the galaxy. You, you call Barky and Treebeard and then the tree, what, what's that other tree, tree man called? I like him so Okay, we're not supposed to talk about bringing you to my world. Oh, yes, you said the Martin will be mad. The R.R. Martin will get you good when he finds out you've removed me from Westeros. No, I haven't removed you. Oh, no, yes, you. this is just dramaturgy. So I, I've been thinking of an adventure because they said, geez, you know, I, I have this thing called a conscience a little bit and guilt. Oh, and so much shame, Padman. You have oodles of shame. Remember when you were crying in my room under my bed? So so I was thinking, so I said, man, and I, and I, I know you've grown and matured so much since I've known you, Tom, and so much. Yes, remember when I was just, just when we first met, I just liked to scream off the balcony without my clothes on, and now I am a man, you know. Yeah, you're an adventurer. So I was thinking this next adventure, and that's pretty heavy stuff. And it's from the it's from these ancient uh, texts. Do you know what an ancient text is? Oh, those are the things the Mesta makes me read, because I do not like to read. The, 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 no, those are tomes. These are different, because these are... Uh, do you, have you heard of wizards, of magic users, any of that... Uh, like dra- dragon magic and those things. Oh, yes, Podman. Remember, we? I said, I wish I had some magic to take this away, this feeling deep inside. Uh, yeah, so, so I have this, uh, this adventure 
from these ancient texts. Because uh, once there was this God older than the old, old gods and even older than the new gods, uh, this God called Psychology. See, it's right here. I've written down Psychology. Psychology. What is this God's name? Sanction. Sanction. It doesn't sound right, Sapounce. Are you sure you could read? Sanction. Uh, Podman, what is it? Uh, Psychologize. That's the name of the god, Tommen. Psychologize. In these ancient books, that was a great wizard of mental powers and things. And this god used to bequest only the chosen young men and women of each world for for a great adventure uh, called uh, Zelv Discovera. Can you say that with me, Tommen? Zelv Discovera. Remember, Podman, is that with the elves? Remember you said you were in love with an elf? No, no, no. I didn't say I was in love with an elf. Oh, you did. You did. You said, I love an elf. No, that was someone who plays an elf. Uh, no, I don't. Uh, oh, yes, you did. You said you love an elf. You said, an, well, there's this is Zelv, Zelv Discovera, not, not elves. Oh, Zelves. No, that's the great palace that we have to work our way towards. Oh, okay. And so, and this is like, a, it's a trial. And there's lots of trickery that I'm sure you're, you'll be able to think think your way through. So are you ready for your first adventure? It's also a game, so it's supposed to be fun. The Journey of Zelv Discovera. Okay. Okay, you ready? Are you ready, Spaypodman? You'll be the uh, I'll do the uh, radio, and then you do that. Okay, it's a journey, though. I like that. It sounds better. Uh, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to uh, Radio Time Fun Hour on uh, K-Pounce Radio, the radio of best friendship. That's K-Pounce, best friend radio. And now on with your regularly scheduled show. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, uh, it's time for the Tom, Tom and Pounce's journey in Dissolve Discovera, uh, deep within the uh, folds, uh, deep within the unknown, is a place very few adventurers have ever made it. Will our heroes join our heroes each week as they try? To get deep within Zelv Discovera, one step at a time, a a man, a king, a prince, a boy named Tommen, and his sidekick, his best friend, and, you know, other things, whatever that uh, some may say to Sir Pounce. Ah, yes, Podman, thank you. And tonight's episode is called The Mystery of the Enneagram. The mystery of the Enneagram. Okay, Podman, go ahead and set it up. Yes, hello, Tom, and my name is uh, the Bearded One, and I am here to present you with your first test. Oh, yes, uh, present me with my test, Bearded One. This will be the quest of... Uh, it, it, I'm going to give you ten, nine things... 
you know, we have been studying you, uh, Sir Tom, and, and saying how wise you think we think you are with your worldwide experience. So I want you to picture yourself at home uh, preparing for a fancy dinner. Have you been to a fancy dinner before? Uh, yes, I have adventured in many dinners. So many eating ch- eat chickens whole. Uh, so if you need me to eat any chickens whole, hide under tables. Bite. Uh, I, I used to bite grandfather's ankles uh, because he... He would get, and I've, I'm good at wearing crowns and laughing as well. Okay, so Tom, well, I want you to think of before the dinner party. I'm going to give you nine things, and I want you to see, I want you to imagine preparing for the party. Each of these people is preparing for the party, and I want you to tell me which one sounds like you. Okay, I'm not sure. Is this an adventure? It is. The first person is looking... And they're preparing for the party. They say, I hope I bring the appropriate uh, beverage, drink. Okay, no, I bring nothing. I'm a, uh, I'm a royal. I bring nothing to parties, even if I would not bring any. Okay, thank you. Okay, the second person is preparing to leave for this party, and they're saying, I hope my friends will all like one another. Well, I have no, fr- I mean, I, I have no, fr- I have no friends. Uh, Sir Pounce, though, but Sir Pounce is always with me, so I don't. I have no need for friends. Okay. Okay. So the third one, Sir Tommen, is I hope to meet a lot of new people tonight. Oh no, I don't like people, maesters especially, a maesters people, and blue-faced people, people that look at me, people that say, "Oi." But you know, people that talk about me, people that talk to me, asking questions. No, 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 no. Okay, thank you, sir. Very good adventuring so far. How about this one? I'm really not in the mood for a dinner party. Oh, yes, that sounds like my tummy may hurt. It could be me. Mr. Pounce might be wanting to play and say, let's not go to this party. Let's just hang here and... Or the podman might need to come and cry. Or the podman might need to come and, and say, you know, tell me stories. I might say, my clothes feel so tight. I cannot wear them, mother. So that could be me. Could be. Okay, very good. Next one. I wish I could stay home and read a book. No, no, no. I, I read no books. They tell me, what is this that you... Read this book of strategy. Read this. uh, No, 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 no reading for me. No, thank you. I have some pounce. Okay, how about this one? I must remember to feed the cat and lock up. Okay. Okay, I don't understand. Feed my cat. Sapounce gets his own food. And what is a lock up? Okay, let me try it again. I'm worried about my cat eating enough. And people coming into my room when I'm not there. Oh, yes, that sounds a bit like me. They say, Sir Pounce, are you, did you have enough to eat? I do not, oh, yes, I I do not like, I say, you know, because mother will come in when I'm not there and she'll go through my things. And she just says sometimes like, uh, why do you have so much milk under your bed? Flagons and flagons of milk. 
And they say, save it for one day. If so, what if so Pounce and I decide never to leave the room, Mother? I want to have enough room, milk for my cat. She says the milk is spoiled. So, yes, that could be me. I prefer to, yes, that could be me. Okay, let's try a couple more. You're doing great. Oh, thank you. Of course I am. Of course I am. If this isn't fun, I could do something else. No, that's not me. I don't. I'd rather do nothing. I'd like to stay in my room. Or, you know, anything I like to do, it gets me in trouble. I don't know, so I try not to do much. Because they say, why not eat that, Tommen? Or, or with chickens, you know, say, say I eat two whole chickens, and then I have a third that is cooked. And I say, uh, Aaron boy, come with me up to the highest tower. And then I say, let me throw this chicken down. Uh, you know, cooked, cooked, of course. You know, and then I get in trouble because they say, why did you throw it? This is when my, when my brother, my brother, my sister, uh, yeah. okay, that's not me, no. Okay, uh, how about this one? I'm out of there. I'm out of here if it's not fun. The party's not music. Dancing with girls and drinking flagons of ale. Who? What? Who are you talking to? Sapounce. That was Sapounce would do that. That's Sapounce. So are you like Sapounce? Are you saying you are Sapounce? No, no, no. That was Sapounce likes those kind of parties. He has friends in Florida, uh, Tia and Tamara, the twin cats, uh, and they would go dancing in those things, but not I. No, 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 not me. Okay, one more. I feel I feel so good if I make new friends tonight. No, no, no. Okay, so you are you. We have two now. So tell me, we're gonna go. Remember four and six. Okay, okay. So, uh, so Tom, and now we're going to take some more tests. Uh, do you consider yourself a romantic? I'm sorry. What is a romantic? Okay, tell me if you uh, identify with this quote. What, who is that? Gathe? Go with it. Okay, go ahead. I can stand almost anything except a succession of ordinary days. I'm sorry, no. Okay, so Tom, do you feel your best when you're warm and compassionate? No, I don't. I, I, I don't like being warm or cold. I don't know what that other one is. What about, Sir Tom, an introspective, expressive, creative? No, no, no. Okay, what about, do you ever feel like you're at your worst? I'm sorry, do, do you like to be on pikes? I, I, I can look at your head and see it on a pike, sir. It's just a question. I am a wise, wise elder. Uh, not so wise to speak to me like that, but uh, go ahead. Have you ever been depressed? Podman said I was, yes. Self-conscious? Don't know. Uh, Guilt-ridden? Oh, yes, uh, so much. Is that what shame is? Uh, withdrawn? Oh, yes. St stubborn? Oh, yes. Moody? Oh, yes, yes. I, yes, these are good things, good qualities to have in your king, no doubt about it, right? Self-absorbed? Oh, possibly, possibly. I, I could be. What does that mean? But I, I don't know. Anyway, get to the point about me. 
Okay, let's try another uh, thing. Are you loyal? Eh, mm, to mm, to Sapounce, yes, I'm very loyal. Likeable. No, people dislike me. I know that uh, they're jealous of me, of course. Caring, no, warm. I, I, I'll, I'll take care of this for you, Sir Tommen. Witty, no. Okay, actually worse. Are you hypervigilant? Mm, sometimes. I don't know, maybe. I'm worried, yes. Controlling, no. Unpredictable, yes. Judgmental, yes. Paranoid, okay. Testy. Yes, I'm testy. Yeah, sometimes. Moody. Testy. Is this, uh, what is this about? Okay, let's see. This, the, I don't know if you're a six or a four, sir. I'm neither four nor six. Sir, sir Tommen, I'm neither. Sir Pounce, what do you think about this? Man saying, man. Yeah, okay, go ahead. Finish up, please, because I, I need to get back here because the blue-faced man checks my bed to make sure I'm in there sleeping. This is, bad man, this is the worst adventure I've ever had. Okay, are you friendly, likable? No, dependent. Sarcastic, bossy, stubborn. Okay, you're not a six. Uh, sorry, Tommen. Podman, you're changing character. Okay, let's, okay, let's try this, Tommen. You have an active imagination. Play creatively alone. Yes, yes, I do, Podman. Are very sensitive. Yes, of course, I'm sensitive. You know that. Feel like they don't fit in. Oh, Podman, I, I feel like we're... Are you prepared? I'm glad you're here. I didn't like the wizard man you were playing. I believe they're missing something other people have. Oh, of course I do. Attach themselves to idealized cats. Oh, yes, Sapounce the bravest cat that's ever been known as my best friend. I become rebellious when criticized or not. Oh, yes, when I run away, hold my breath. I uh, hide from mother... Hide mother's things, spy on Lancel and mother, uh, feel lonely. Oh, yes, yes, well, until I met you, Podman, in Sapounce. Well, congratulations, Sir Tom, and you've passed this test. Oh, I have, I have passed this test, good. You are welcome to the, you are, we, we, uh, we're proud to present you with the first uh, key to Elzel's discovery, and the key is within you, Sir Tommen, for you are, you have the power of four. Oh, yes, of course, uh, two, actually, me and Sir Pounce. But there's four legs, uh, so six legs. You could count the Podman as half a power. That would be one. Uh, four is fine, that's good. And we, we, we need you to practice to become even more powerful for your next adventure, Sir Tom. And could you take down these, possibly these tasks? Or Sir Pounce, could you help Tom and with these? Sam and ma'am. Uh, be proud of uh, the things you have accomplished, Sir Tom. Well, Mother says I have nothing to be proud of except for my name. Okay, well, you could practice. Uh, work towards fulfilling needs now, man. Okay, that's not gonna happen. Self discipline, no. Value living in the present. Hmm. Find ways to make things more creative. You're gonna commit creative work. 
Yeah, maybe we could do some. Can you paint a painting or draw or tell a story, Sir Tommen? Well, Mother's taken everything from my room, so she said, don't make any more of a mess. Career of your creativity. Uh, notice what qualities you admire and develop them in yourself. Yes, Podman, I like how you serve me so well, but I don't want to serve anyone. Uh, could you be direct and specific about what you want the next time? Uh, I'm getting bored with this. Look, that's a good start, Tommen. Uh, be careful not to blow what others say out of proportion. Well, they, they say that's what they... You see, you're blowing this all out of proportion, Tommen. Develop a strong support system of friends. You're kind of doing that. Well, so, yeah, uh... So Pounce is my friend, and you are here to serve me. You're kind of like my footstool, or what do they call it? A footstool. You're my human footstool. So yes, I have my system. Servant system. Starting with the Podman. Though you're not good at anything, but, you know, being around, which I, I like. I do like that, though. I deal with issues. Try to be objective. Try not to overpower people with your emotions. Write your feelings down. Could do, could you make a letter? Could you write a letter to Sir Pounce and me? I I I could write a letter to Sir Pounce. And then maybe write me a letter too, a thank you letter. Yeah, I'll write a letter to Sir Pounce. Okay, that could be your homework. Yeah, I don't know if any of this other stuff. Uh, develop good habits and no. Don't amplify your feelings. Visualization. Detached observer. Could you ever do You've done that before, Tommen, right? So, Tommen, that is your two quests. Write a letter to Sir Pounce and practice being an observer. Pretend that you are Sir Pounce observing things when you feel some intense feelings. Wonder... And pretend what it would be like to be Sipounce observing you with your feelings. Okay, I think I could. Sipounce, could you tell me what I'm like? Best of mine. Oh, thanks, Sipounce. Thank you, see, best friends. Okay, that is all for my adventure today. Thank you, everybody. This, Batman, this was not an adventure. This was a quiz. I, I'm not, you know, I, I, I know. I don't know what this is, but I need some... We needed some sort of way. You, you, you should have just been. Okay, I'll work on it for next week, Tom. I just wanted to try something different. Uh, well, you did and you failed. So, but that's okay. Because, uh, yeah, I, I've been waiting to get back on the air. The air with the earphones. So, thank you. Uh, good day. Oh, you got to finish up. Oh, thank you for this. Another day on K Pounce Radio. Radio Best Friendship. It's K Pounce Radio. Good day. Signing off. I crone, sweet, sweet crone, Miller Smith, Barky, Jester, uh, Miss Miller Smith, Barky, Jester, Maiden. I don't know if you're listening, but uh, did we ever give the hound any in, in jobs? Gods, am I missing anybody? Crone, sweet, sweet crone, Miller Smith, Barky, Jester. So, gods, it's been a while since I pray. Pray at you. Oh, yeah, you know, I've been praying to you every night, of course, but just not on recording. 
all the you know wisdom you've given me and all that off the air. But this is you know where you get the big props. Uh, but I thought I'd there might be some people that are listening that don't know. But believe it, and you know, put the smoters down, uh, gods. They say, you know, wh- wh- who's this guy talking to? So I wanted to reintroduce you to everybody here. Start of season six. Crone, you're one of the, you're the youngest old god. Or are you a new, you're a new god. Of course you're a new god, Crone. Sweet. That's why you're the sweet, sweet Crone. Uh, you're the one that knows because it already happened. And you're the one that told you so, right, Crone? That's your thing. Told you so. Why bother? I told you it would fail. So that's why you're the sweet, sweet crone. And because crone kind of, that's kind of the sound you make when you, when I do anything, huh? Crone. Or maybe that's, the, I guess that's the emotional resonance I feel when you talk to me, sweet, sweet crone. And you say, well, why? Kind of like my Nana, which you're a god, you know, you're all, all powerful, a god being. So, Crone, I just wanted you to meet all the new listeners. You know, I'm just giving you a hard time, too. I know that uh, there's good qualities about you. Uh, and you probably already knew the wonderful things I was going to say that I somehow forget. You know, that you know when the weather's going to be bad or good. You know, naughty or nice. So you can help Santa out with that stuff. And, of course, you bring the wisdom, Crone, without you. There'd be no wisdom of who would remind us of all the mistakes we've already made and all the downsides of the future choices, you know, all all the choices we could have made that we didn't, that would have worked, you know, all that stuff. Without you, where would I be, sweet, sweet crone? And, you know, you smell decent, so so that's the crone, everybody. Please meet the crone. You know, it sounds like it, but she loves butterscotch candy, the Westeros version of it. And that's the crone. And, of course, you know, I have issues, crone, so it's not you, it's me. You know, I have, you know, uh, issues. So so don't take you, you You have all the power. I, You know, thanks, crone. Like I, nothing like starting to season off... Uh, Blew, blew that one, Crone. But I, I know you could tell when I lie, so I just, you know, so, and I'm, I'm trying to be, you know, I'm trying to look on the bright side. Kind of tough with you, Crone, though, you know. You say, well, I don't know why you do that. You're the wrong person. So thanks, Crone. That's the Crone, everyone. She's one of the new gods. Sounds like an old god, but she looks like uh, you don't look a day over... Uh, however the exact age you'd think a crone would be. So, because then you wouldn't be a crone. You'd be an old crone, and you're not. You're just the crone, right? So that's the crone. Now, you, you got the old gods, you got the new gods, and then you got the new, new gods, ladies and gentlemen, and then one of those is the miller. I, I think, because uh, you, got, you got the warrior, you got the maiden, you got the father, the mother, you got the nameless, you got the reaver, you got the crone, you got a couple other gods up there, but you don't have anyone making up the god stuff. Uh, keeping the gods' susness on heaven and earth. 
God, God, that sweats because he's really working hard. It's the Miller uh, and, and the Smith. Don't worry, Smith. I'm going to introduce you next. And the Miller is the God of grain, God of uh, milling, grinding. Yeah, how I came to praise you, Miller, I won't even know because I just uh, I don't remember. But uh, glad to have you, glad to be, I mean, you're probably the one that's like, well, I got that uh, scooter guy. I kind of wish, you know, I was just a background god, a demigod or whatever, but he decided to start praying to me. And the crone won't let me to hear the end of it. You know, but you get, Miller, you're the most, you're the God we remind, you know, I like to remind people the most we can't do without you because we got to eat, you know. So that's a Miller. Miller's got a lot of great talents. Everybody can't wait to them. You know, hopefully you see them revealed through me, you know, in the silos of grain I own. And, you know, they'll be living off the fat of the land. But, you know, it hasn't happened yet, but that's not for the lack of brand of the Miller, the Miller, everybody. Now we got ourselves another official God here, new God, but not a new, new God, not an old God, but a God that's been around and a God everybody needs. That's the Smith. And the Smith is what I call the under God, forgotten God, working their tail off, uh, the Smith. And some might say, oh, working with weapons. And, and I would say, you know, the reason the Smith's you know, underdog to me is you got to freaking... What other guy you got to, what do we got? The father, the mother, the maiden. Hey, maiden, what's up? Did you get that? Remember, uh, did you get that look I gave you like 16 months ago? Anyway, I haven't heard from you, but that's, you know, I'm probably, you're probably busy. I'm so busy, though, so if you stopped by, I probably didn't even know it. And if you hear any giggling, it wasn't me giggling to myself or my dog. It was, uh. But don't worry, Maiden. Anyway, I was talking about the Smith because you got the warrior. And then who, who makes a god just to serve the warrior? In my opinion, uh, the warrior should be sm- sm- serving the Smith or at least paying the Smith. And plus, I like the idea of like the molten metal. And it just felt like the Smith wasn't getting the Smith's due. And so the, I said, come into my fold. I'm, and I'm going to pray to you anyway, so you don't have a choice. The Smith, ladies and gentlemen. And then, uh, once an earthly being, this is a new, new, new God. And we might have to get a hound God, I think, this year. But this God once was a human named Oberon or Oberon. And, you know, some called him Martel. Some called him one smooth dude. But he also liked to laugh. He liked to, you know, do that uh, Bacchanalian type thing. And I said to myself, well, I don't know how to do some Bacchanalian stuff because no one, not even the maiden, will get, you know, to return my prayers. The other side of the Bacchanalian stuff, I already overdid it, so I can't do any of that anymore. Why don't I live vicariously through a guy that does it all? And that was wicked cool. And I said, you know, we lost a character. We're better to be, you know, uh, ruling in the, the highest sense of the word. That's the jester. 
And that's right, you heard it here first, uh, straight, out of, straight out of 2016, we got a new god I'm praising, the Hound God. Ain't nothing but a Hound God uh, I'm praising all the time in 2016. The, uh, the Hound God, that's a dog god that's like loyal and, you know, you feel that's droopy. And, you know, that we'll get back to. Good to have you on our team this year, Hound God. And then, you know, bringing it up, raising the roof, uh, the most important of the gods, the original old god personified because they couldn't get it right back in the day when they multi-personified one thing. I said, hey, children of the forest, let me take over for you. I know you didn't ask me. I know you scoff at me behind my back, but I've got a god for you. It might be the god of the forest. It might be the old gods. Well, wouldn't you like it better if your god had a name and a name like Barky? My favorite god. Don't tell the other gods that. And Maiden, though, I I mean it. Barky's my favorite god. Barky. God of the forest. God of the trees. God of the growing stuff. God of the earth. The guy that kicks it with Treebeard and Groot and dances. Barky, the coolest god, you know, especially in a hot day. Who would you rather hang with in the uh, canopy of uh, one god named Barky? The guy that puts a smile on my face and, uh, I don't know, we could take a nap under it. You know, Maiden, we could have had a picnic under Barky. Well, Barky, I don't know if, uh, I mean... Well, Maiden, you wouldn't even... So, yeah, Barky, the, another god. We love this god, god too. Uh, so, ladies and gentlemen, these are the gods old and new and newer. And newest, welcome, hound god, uh, that I like to praise. They've guided the podcast, uh, by, you know, by their mysterious ways. We like to joke around here. These gods, you know, work in mysterious ways. Mostly, so far, no offense, gods, but most of the, uh, what do you call those, uh, divine maneuverings I'm seeing are on the crone's end. Or, you know, Jester, I I know you guys get a lot of laughter at all my stuff going. Uh, But, you know, gods, I don't know if you've known, you know, ever since I stopped praying for you, things have been going great with the podcast, so hopefully... uh, uh, wow, I didn't even think about that. I mean, they were already going good when I was hanging with you all. Now we got the Hound God in the house. Hound God in the house. I think, Jester, you and the Hound are going to get along great. You know, you could go, probably, yeah, that's probably why I don't get any help from either one of you. But uh, and, the, and the Hound likes to laugh at me, too. Uh, but guys, you know, I, you know, I really use you. Uh, so uh, this is this season, it's, uh, 2016. Like I said, Maiden's not called me back. No offense, guys, if I was with the Maiden, I probably wouldn't be, you know, so that's probably good that she doesn't, but you know, you've probably been watching me the whole time. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe that's my ego talking, you know, since you got all, since you never asked me, you say, I think I've gotten a couple letters from you, anonymous ones. Say, well, I didn't ask you to pray for pray to me anyway. But, well, you know, I know some of you are keeping count, Crone, you know, that you like getting praised. 
But guys, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta send you eternals of gratitude for all this fear. I've been, uh, oh boy, you know, all that fear. I don't, I don't know. It's been, I, you've just been heaping it on me. Thank you so much, Crone. It's like the future and the past all at once, and I just can't stop obsessing about it. Miller, I ate it for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Smith, it's always hammering on me. Miller Smith. Uh, who's it was after that? Jester, Miller Smith. Crone, sweet, sweet Crone. Miller Smith, Barky, Barky. Yeah, I got it over my head. Jester, you know, it makes me, it makes me do goofy things. Hound dog, my, my, my tongue's hanging out and I'm wagging my tail. And yeah, I think that's it. I feel like I missed somebody, but, uh, but yeah, guys, I'm on freak out mode. You know, I still got my job and I got the podcast and I'm trying to figure out what to do and figure out how to manage everything and stay balanced. And mostly, you know, just try, you know, usually, I, you know, I get those freak outs from thinking, stinking thinking, they call it. Crone, I sure you use stronger language than that. Uh, so I don't know, guys, if you could think of, uh, I always say, geez, if I didn't think about stuff, I'd be in the moment. But then, you know, they say, well, I, you know, then I start to say, oh, boy, that doesn't feel comfortable. So last last season, guys, we had that adventure with that app, Midler, that you promised me we'd start and we'd get rich and I would not be, you know, you know, I'd have total certainty so I wouldn't have any more fear. But you know, I guess you didn't do anything about that, guys. I did. I I did most of the kicking off of the Midler app. Well, I just talked about it. I pray, you know, praised you in your names about the Midler app. That didn't happen. So I don't know about this season, guys. Uh, I definitely need your help. That's no joke, Crone. I think I probably have too much of your help in its present form. So maybe we could reform how you help me, Miller. You know, I could definitely, I've been grinding my teeth a lot, so I'd like to, you know, make some, you know, su- I don't know, I'd like to make some sustenance. Uh, but mostly, God, you know, I, you know, I'm, you know, I'm afraid of intimacy even with God's, you know, ex- well, maiden, you know, we could try it, you know, just, but it, the rest of you guys, you know, just like with humans, I'm not comfortable being vulnerable but here you go. Here's some vulnerability city, gods. I'm afraid. I want to keep making this podcast. And I'm not sure exactly how I'm doing it. It's out of my control a little bit. And I'm getting, you know, I get all my freakouts. I'm staying calm and I think I can just keep doing my best. And, but you know, Chrome, maybe I misinterpret. Probably that's what it is, Chrome. It's me, you know, misinterpreting how to praise you best. And I start to think about, whoa, what's that? how am I going to do this? Or, you know, I don't know that I forget to trust Smith that you've given me the tools I need or that, uh, what's your name, Baker? What's your name, Miller? You've given me the food, you know, provided I could have gratitude for that. You know, the jester, all I have to do is laugh and stay in the moment and follow the hound one step at a time. And uh, Barky know that, you know, 
I always can clap on your bark. You know, I'll never be alone. But, you know, I started thinking and worrying and thinking I got to control everything and know how it's going to turn out or predict how it's going to turn out. I mean, I'm not the crone, right, crone? That's what you're saying. Let you do the seeing into the past and the future and the shaming. Yeah, why do I do it? It's not my job. You're right, crone. Holy moly. It's always so good talking to you gods. Uh, so that's what I'll need help with this season, gods, is just uh, saying, hey, hey, Scooter, calm it down. You know, trust in us. You know, we're the gods that don't don't even have one fictional central belief system. You pulled us out of a bunch of different ones. So that you're like the just, you know, you're kind of like a superhero team, gods, but more powerful, clearly. Uh, I mean, not by anything I've seen on Earth, just from what I can, just from the huge uh, faith I have, hopefully, that I'll develop in you. That's it, guys. I'm just asking for your help to, uh, I don't know what, I guess you don't even have to do anything. So, and that's that's what you've so far proven your best at, is just, uh, uh, te- you know, say, te- let's just keep teaching him by his mistakes. And then let him prayer prayer into us, and we'll say, hey, dummy, don't you notice we've been here all along uh, doing nothing, which is all we need to do. And maybe that's what I just need to do, guys, trust and uh, keep doing it. But, yeah, that's what I'm praising in for. Uh, and that's it, I guess, for now. Thanks for this opportunity. Sweet, sweet crone. Miller Smith, Barky, Jester, Hound Dog. Hound Dog God. Uh, this is your servant scooter, uh, earthly in humble tude, uh, praying out. Uh, running through this car lot here, he's just checking the, the car reviews in the paper. Looking at this one, it's called a Sashley 913 edition. Four star, five star car, four halo persons. Love this car. Works every time. That's important. 25 minutes tops. That's cool. And this is another car. Not sure what, I think it's a sedan done reviewing. I don't know if they market tested that name, but a favorite car or podcast ever. Five stars. Love this car. Yep. Make all the positive adjectives put together in a jumble. Would come close to describing this ride. Well done, Scooter. Oh, it's a Scooter. Uh, this, uh, this is my first podcast review. Thanks. Uh, this car, now I, I might buy this one, Night in ER Ninja. So probably like one of those Kawasaki motorcycles. Uh, outstanding. I must say I never was really into cars, but the first one I started listening to, Scooter Help Me Fall Asleep. Oh, it's a scale. Yeah, I guess you could call it. Kind of motorcycle makes me laugh right out loud. Totally worth it. Uh, takes your mind off of the BS and uh, highly recommend. Sweet five stars. This is like sounds like a car that they want to take your picture right when you see the car name because it's so happy I found this, and it's a five star car. So maybe that's the truth. Like uh, you think that's like people. Uh, I don't know who. The, I mean, they definitely made the new Tesla. Maybe this this car has me asleep within ten to fifteen. Maybe oh, it's a car bed. Maybe. So happy I found this adult-sized car bed. 10 to 15 minutes, amazing. So happy I found this. This is a classic car, Schick 76. 
I think that's what American Graffiti was about. Love it. Five stars. Strangest review I've ever written because I can't tell you what the car really is precisely because it does what it's supposed to do. Put me to sleep. Oh, it's another car bed. Been a lifesaver. Cure for insomnia. Love it. Highly recommended. Now, I got a feeling this one is uh, someone that named their car. It's probably used car. Oh, yeah, this is the classifieds now. Kendra Ryan. Never fit five stars for this car that they're selling. Never finished an episode, but in a good way. Guaranteed to make you fall asleep. Live in a dorm with three other cars or a three car garage. And it can assure you it's the only way I get some rest. Uh, funny and talented at making you fall asleep. And now, how about this one? I think this used to Oroco, Oroco 04. So this is a used car from 2004. Never found a love like this. Never loved a car that I can't explain so much. Can't comment on the content because uh, it's so effective at putting me to sleep. I don't remember what it was about. He's a, it's a dream for cross-country red eyes, among other uses. Highly recommend it. This one, Jake and Amir and Grant, uh, trying to write a review while listening to Scooter Z's. Good night, five stars. Uh, how about this one? Then men me. Then Menaumi. Canadian car, so I don't, I don't buy a car. I mean, I'd like that. Sounds like a man out me. Maybe it's a cat car. Sleep with me, five stars. So sleep with the car. Puts the Z's in snooze. Sounds good. Abba Brassen, this is another Canadian vehicle. Uh, love it. Love this car. Good to awesome. I had five stars. Recommend it to anyone. Insomnia, a long time, fall asleep. This is another one. This is an Australian car. A Webst. A Webst. Yeah, fantastic. Five stars this car gets after six months listening. Only heard one complete episode. Incredible monotone stories that aren't interesting enough to put you awake. Not boring enough to turn off. 350 episodes take a long time to listen to them all. Years worth. Uh, but you don't mind replaying episodes because you'll barely remember. Trust me, try it. Then this car is a Slang and Stacks boy. Slang and Stacks boy. Uh, that's like a stockbroker's vehicle. Helps me fall asleep. I don't listen to it every night, but when I'm in the right mood, it's just distracting enough. Five stars. This this sounds, this kind of car, this is a good name, Mulco. I think if I had a company and name it that, what do you do? We'll mull stuff over. over. We're here, Mulco. We serve warm mulled drinks, and we think about stuff, kind of. You know, we mull it. Mulco. We're thinking on it. Sponsor of tonight's thank yous. <clears throat> also awesome, five stars works every time. Mulco. The kind of car you think about. Mulco. <clears throat> It's another car. This sounds like a nice one. Lake Alaka. Uh, and you know what I think about that car? Lake Alaka. I love it. Uh, best never fails to uh, put me out. Five stars. And this sounds like a, a pet name for a car. Little Miss Sabrina. Little Miss Sabrina. Uh, being bored to sleep's never been more enjoyable. It used to take hours, but some about the pointless stories in my tone voice and asked me out immediately. 
I don't think I've ever made it through an entire episode without passing out. Dull, funny, can't really recommend it enough. And then one more Canadian car. This sounds like a professional vehicle. Guy Esquire. Uh, this is Guy Esquire. That sounds like a car a Canadian James Bond would use. <coughs> Maple. James Maple. I don't know what's the... What's the what, they'd be good at comedy instead of spying because Canadians are fun. You know, they're funnier. Maple. James Maple. Do 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 do. I tell jokes. I'm a Canadian. James Maple. Do 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 do. This one's a game changer for getting to sleep. Five stars. Fab podcast. So I said thank you all and good night. And thanks for all support. If you want to review the show, go to sleepwithmepodcast.com slash iTunes. Thank you.